welcome to your right to speak discussions on social justice and advocacy this is episode 38 and i'm your host salvatore on today's episode i'd like to explore the recent news on the closing of the ontario child advocates office in the past i've worked at the advocates office on the we have something to say project and i was fortunate enough to work directly with all the advocates there And I've seen firsthand the great work that that office has done on elevating the voices of young people across Ontario. I've had the fortunate opportunity to have some of my past guests from the Advocates Office and continuing to further the voices of young people and shine a light on systemic barriers and service gaps. When the news of the Ontario Child Advocates Office came out about its closing, you could hear a silence across social services in Ontario and a tremendous silence uh, from young people. I've been talking with uh, my colleagues in various agencies and we all share the opinion that we're deeply concerned that young people's voices across Ontario will be silenced. The Advocates Office has shined a light on various systems such as child welfare, um, services offered to First Nations, youth justice, young people with disabilities, and a wide variety of a lot more. With the closing of the Advocates Office, uh, there is a shared concern that all the topics and all the service gaps that the, uh, the office has shined a light on Um, those young people's voices will be silenced. I've seen the great work, as I've said before, that uh, the provincial advocate has done, Erwin Elman, and I've seen his passion come through in really being very youth-centered and youth-focused and allowing young people to have a safe space to express those concerns. Erwin has positioned the office um, very well and has brought it a long ways from its first inception not to discount the work that the past provincial advocates have done with the advocates office closing ontario be one of the few um provinces in canada without a head provincial advocate and this is a direct violation of the uncrc the convention on the rights of a child Today's episode will be playing a bit of the press conference um, that that had allowed an opportunity for young people to express their concerns of the closing of the Provincial Advocate's Office. Let's have a listen. I am 19, a former Crown Ward, an Indigenous youth, a young mother, and a youth amplifier in my community. I would like to start by thanking MPP Monique Taylor, who is the NDP critic for Children and Youth Services, for helping to organize this. I also want to thank Judy Finlay and the School of Child and Youth Care at Ryerson University, as well as the Ontario Children's Advocacy Coalition. I am here today to let our Premier know, on the behalf of youth in Ontario, we do not support a government that systemically institutionalizes us into believing our voices don't matter. We are stronger than the stigmatism, we are stronger than our trauma, and we are stronger than your decision to repeal the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth. Indigenous youth made up 
46% of admissions into correctional services. Meanwhile, overall Indigenous youth only made up 4% of the population. In 2007, 250 youth in open detention in open custody were interviewed, and 48% had previous child welfare involvement. 44% of youth in care graduate compared to their counterparts at 81%. More than 40% of CASs did not know the racial backgrounds or indigenous identities of more than one in five children served by their agencies. Ontario cannot afford to take away the only office who operates independently to advocate for our most vulnerable youth. I was apprehended into CAS at a very young age, and like most youth apprehended into care, I had the odds stacked against me. For the first year, I lived in over 10 placements, and by my last year in the system, I had lived in almost 40 placements. I anticipated I would have a better future with responsible guardians, but instead, I was abused at the hands of multiple caregivers, spent four months in pre-detention custody because my guardian couldn't satisfy bail requirements, became defined by a file that would only outline my negative characteristics, faced substance abuse problems, nearly took my own life, dropped out of high school, and at 15 became a teen mother living on my own. I'm one of the faces behind the statistics. Without the provincial advocate, I could have easily become one of the youth who slipped through the cracks. I ask you to picture if it was your child up here telling this story, could you still see the decision the same way? My past, however, led me to my work now and has helped prove that when youth with lived experience are heard, we can reshape service sectors to include youth participation where we can help efficiently address systemic barriers. Currently, I work in Belleville at the John Howard Society where I was hired as a youth peer mentor under the Crossover Youth Project. COI is a pilot project funded by Ryerson University and was designed to respond to systemic barriers in each individual community for youth in both the child welfare and criminal justice systems. This position allowed me to use my past as a tool to shape a better system for vulnerable youth and showed me when there is youth, there is a way. Being a peer mentor for the COI project, I know firsthand the significance of providing a space for young people to come together to support each other. The Advocate's Office is the only institution that currently provides or currently supports youth while offering a model through mentorship while amplifying voices of undeserved young people across the province. This way of supporting young people will not be guaranteed with the amalgamation of the Provincial Advocate's Office into the Advudsman's Office. We cannot expect an office currently responsible for a broad scope of sectors to adequately advocate for youth when what is needed is a specialized child advocate office to hold individuals, agencies, and the government accountable for youth who have died, been injured, mistreated, gone missing, have been silenced, disproportionately criminalized, and failed to graduate from high school. This office ensures that youth voices amplified and heard at every level, exposes what happens behind closed doors. We have too many questions unanswered, we have too many lives at stake, and they have tried to silence us. As a youth with lived experience who almost lost her fight to a careless system, let's reverse this decision for future of vulnerable youth. Thank you, Bailey, and thank you, Lee Taylor, for organizing this. Uh,
my name is Elspeth Dodman, and I have had the privilege and the honor of working with the Child and Youth Advocates Office on the We Have Something to Say project for the past two years. Together with youth from across the province, I worked to promote change uh, for children and youth with disabilities. From the first day I walked into the Ontario Child Advocates Office, I found an advocate and a staff willing to listen. They took our voices seriously, something I find so rare in a life with a developmental disability. I found a staff that honored our stories, that took time to hear what we had to say in whatever format it came. An office willing to go above and beyond to accommodate. If children were, were not well enough to make our meetings, they were Skyped in. If weather held back people from coming into the office, they were phoned in and included that way. I found an office full of passion and compassion for the people in their care and in this province. Ontario is the largest province in the country and the first to lose its dedicated child advocate for children in foster care, children in police custody, disabled children and their families, and children in poverty. The advocate's office was a point of hope, a point that the ombudsman's office, despite its skill, does not have the ability to fill. The closing of this office is unconscionable. It is beyond imagine. It is a dark day for this province and its children when we balance a budget on the backs of the smallest of us. My name is Elspeth Dodman. And today, I have something to say. I ask this government, I implore them, I beg them, keep this office open. Keep the Ontario Child Advocates Office open. Not for me, but for the children who will come after me. Thank you. My name is Anna Amos Holmes. I'm a former Calhoun, a former employee at the Advocate's Office, and currently a Crisis Counselor and Program Coordinator. Today, I'm representing the Ontario Children's Advocacy Coalition alongside Troy. We are here today because we care about the outcomes of the kids coming after us. We have all aged out of the care of the government, but we all know too well the experiences of growing up without family of growing up in a fragmented system that is meant to be apparent to us. We are pleased that the government announced three roundtables to address issues in Indigenous child welfare, children in care, and youth in custody. However, we believe that the three roundtables are not going to account for the nuanced experiences of more than 25,000 children who don't live at home, who live without family or parents, we know that more than half of youth who are experiencing homelessness have had contact with child welfare agencies. What about children with disabilities? Are they at these roundtables? If so, what type of disability is represented? There are youth who are deafblind with no language, no communication, because hand and voice are not accessible to them. We also understand the government is transferring investigation powers over to the ombudsman. However, these roundtables and the ombudsman are no substitution for an independent, rights-based, child advocate's office made up of social workers with extensive and specialized experience working with youth. 
They will not account for the community development advisors, advocates, and youth leaders who work with communities across Ontario to identify gaps and failures of various systems. So I have here with me evidence that the work of the Child Advocates Office is effective in improving the lives of children. And there's no reason to overhaul what is already working. They have been instrumental in creating change in the six key areas of their mandate. Child welfare, First Nations, provincial demigration schools for deaf and blind, youth justice, children's mental health, and children with disabilities. Each report here was produced in partnership with young people through community development and advocacy projects. These projects were led with young people from the six different mandates. And each and every single one of these reports represent a vulnerable and at-risk community that will suffer if we close the advocate's office. The success of the office comes from the legislative powers and by taking a rights-based approach and putting the voice of young people at the forefront. The advocate's office found creative ways to make the system work better for kids. I worked on the Arbor's Our Turn project, and we held the unprecedented youth leaving care hearings in 2011 over two days. At the hearings, young people from across Ontario spoke directly to government, who are legally our parents, telling them our experiences in the system, good and bad. Out of the hearings, story after story, we heard that the needs of children in care were not being met. Our safety and well-being were compromised. So we told the government that they need to do better. And together with the Advocates Office and the Ministry of Children and Youth Services at the time, formed a working group to create the Blueprint for Fundamental Change, which is being implemented to varying degrees. Further, we cannot forget kids like Caitlin Sampson, Ashley Smith, and Jeffrey Baldwin, who lost their lives due to horrific abuse and neglect and the failures of the system to protect them and prevent their deaths. Jeffrey Baldwin was a young boy who died at the age of six, weighing less than he did on his first birthday due to horrific abuse and neglect from his grandparents. The Advocate's Office played a vital role in these inquests and included young people with lived experiences as advisors, myself included as an advisor to the Jeffrey Baldwin inquest. Without the Advocate's Office, we are losing a rights-based mechanism and organization. Young people need to know what their rights are. But how do you know your rights are being breached when you don't even know what your rights are? How will the ombudsman deal with children who are deafblind and children with special needs? Most of them don't even know anything about their rights. Through various community development and prevention projects, the Advocates Office elevated the voice of youth, built meaningful relationships with communities, and identified gaps and trends in the system that are not working. Because of the nature and position of the Advocate's Office being an independent watchdog that had legislative powers to shine light on things that fall through the cracks, despite the government's best efforts, the powers that come with the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth Act made the Advocate's influence on change that much more powerful. We are asking the government that if you are taking away the Advocate's Office, a second home to thousands of children, that we provide them with alternative supports. Some of these communities, for example, Thunder Bay, are already low on resources and infrastructure. So who will they turn to when their needs are not being met? Arguably, there are some supports that exist, but are these supports sufficient and effective in addressing their needs? If so, 
does the government have plans to increase funding to these community-based initiatives and organizations? We know the Ontario Child Advocate is effective. So if the government transfers some of the work over to the Ombudsman, it needs to include community development and advocacy work, which targets prevention initiatives rather than interventions that react to when abuse and neglect occurs. The government is the parent to over 17,000 children in care who are vulnerable and at risk. So often, decisions about us are made without us. The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which has been ratified by Canada, stipulates that we have a right to be heard. We're asking our parent, the government, to reconsider the decision to close the advocate's office that provides vital programs to improve our lives and outcomes. We're also asking the Ontario government to meet with us to discuss what child welfare and other systems will look like moving forward. We are prepared to collaborate with the government to develop alternative solutions to balancing the budget. To people watching this, we want you to ask questions and continue these important conversations. Regardless of what will happen next week when the government hopes to pass Bill 57, making it into law and officially closing the advocate's office, we need to continue these conversations and we need to ensure that no child gets left behind. Thank you. Hello and good morning. My name is Troy Elston, a former youth in care, Caribbean student, ambassador of the Children's Aid Foundation of Canada, peer mentor, and youth educator in my community. Of course, I'm very happy to be with you guys here today. And uh, of course, you just heard Anna speak. Uh, we are uh, together, along with a few other members, part of the Ontario uh, Children's Advocacy Coalition. And as a co-member of the Ontario uh, Children's Advocacy Coalition, we collectively represent a diversity of youth, including children at risk with disabilities, indigenous children with mental health, or in the youth criminal justice system, and particularly, I represent youth from underrepresented or essentialized minority populations. Today, identify as a Caribbean black former youth in care and representing other black minority populations who may suffer from mental health issues and who may be oppressed and may be coming from fragmented homes or families. As a black youth myself, originally coming from a single parent home and now in my work as an educator and mentor, I feel that it is necessary and very important for all young people to feel completely safe and to always have a voice in their communities. I want to take you back a few years to our hair story project that happened, which was essentially put together by the Ontario Child Advocacy Office. And essentially this uh, project was put together to represent black populations, um, using their hair as a symbolism for uh, increasing, uh, 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 using their hair as a symbol to represent their culture um, in times where uh, children in foster care were, were uh, felt underrepresented. And, and essentially trying to increase uh, awareness in the black community. So this actually started with a major concern which was initially raised by Urban Elman, who reported that there was a lack of culturally diverse, uh, culturally anchored services. In fact, over 100 stories were presented in a Right to Speak panel forum, arts, arts forum, from black youth across Ontario with backgrounds in the youth, criminal justice, special needs, mental health, and the provincial and demonstration school systems through creative writing, visual arts media. One of the major objectives of the platform was to organize a safe space and give black youth a right to speak, literally, about their experiences and to bring forth ideas for systemic change to policymakers and community organizations working with the Ontario Child Advocacy Office. 
what we got from this is that, uh, is that amongst those large groups of youth, 90% of the youth uh, from age 13 to 24 have lived in child welfare or criminal justice systems, while the other 10% make up the black, indigenous, mixed, and Caribbean peoples. And one of the growing concerns is that such youth lose their culture over time, even when they're placed in foster homes with black foster parents who are trained, yet still unequipped to deal with uh, the issues of underrepresentation. So for example, if black youth uh, who are, let's say, in the child welfare system versus criminal justice system are coming from different cultures, parents who perhaps might come from the same background, like Caribbean or African, might not directly be able to represent those black youth because they're coming from different cultures and therefore are influenced by different environments. And so it's not just about race, it's about where these youth are coming from and their experiences, which differ over time. So since then, many objectives were brought forward through discussions. Some of them, bridging large gaps created by underrepresentation of black youth and to decrease cultural insensitivity, Increase equity outcomes for African American, for uh, Afri uh, Canadian children and families to develop training and input from African Canadian advisory community committees for staff of CAS to address racial and disproportionality issues. In 2016, this led to the construction and release of a detailed two-part report entitled One Vision, One Voice, spearheaded by the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Societies, outlining specific frameworks to ensure every aspect of child protection in Ontario is transformed by structures and practices that can fight anti-black racism for African cultures. Discussions from the Hair Story Project also drove enormous efforts into birthing many new programs in collaboration with many uh, of the major children's aid societies in Ontario, including Halton and Toronto CS organizations. And so while I've never personally accessed services from the OCA, I do understand gravely the importance of the office, and as a young person and black youth, an advocate for children, and through my peers who have been helped by the advocate's office. Many of you are here today. There are many reasons why we should keep the office open. For example, young people are the strongest and our strongest allies. But when we take our voice away, we actually are taking our power away. Our major fear in this act is that even though our society tries to create a culture of inclusion, we may soon be facing a government that leaves out need a system that incorporates fairness and equity to partner with stakeholders and policymakers to resolve escalated concerns by young people in need across Ontario. Thank you. Some very powerful stuff came from uh, this press conference and we could hear the concern uh, from the young people um, without having a provincial advocate. If you want to further this conversation or want to share your opinions, um, you can email me at yourrighttospeak at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-G-H-T-T-O-S-P-E-A-K at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together.